Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and uh, a welcome from me. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I lead the team of elders here at Hope. And uh, it's great to be together this morning, great to spend some time in God's presence together, to worship Him. I loved hearing those uh, readings in the different languages at the outset of the meeting. That was such a glorious moment, a taste of eternity. And uh, it's just so wonderful to be part of a church that is increasingly uh, international in its makeup. And it was such a wonderful thing last week hearing from Tommy, who unpacked for us uh, some verses from Ephesians chapter 2, which speak about how God wants to create for himself one new humanity, one new man drawn from every nation and tribe and tongue. And there was a beautiful picture that Tommy shared of Jesus, who came to proclaim peace. Uh, through uh, dying on the cross, peace between uh, man and God, and, and this picture of Jesus proclaiming peace, the cross in the center, and every uh, person from every nation and tribe and tongue just being drawn nearer and nearer to the cross, and how in the church now, as we're drawing nearer and nearer to Jesus, it's hard to see kind of where one person stops and another person starts, this beautiful picture of being drawn together. I loved what Tommy brought to us, and we're going to build on that a little bit today. We're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to cover uh, some really glorious truths as we unpack these verses together. Some glorious truths about the story that you and I, if we've uh, placed our faith in Jesus, this story that we've been drawn into. It's a glorious story, and I, I, wonder, I wonder if you know that uh, when you first believed in Jesus, it wasn't simply that your uh, sin was forgiven and that you were cleansed, but that actually you were drawn into something huge. You were drawn into something massive, something that changes everything when we get a hold of it. I don't know if you've known this story uh, about the building of St. Paul's Cathedral. Well, it was rebuilt after the Great Fire of London in 1666. And this guy, Christopher Wren, the architect, was uh, inspecting the site one day as it was being built. And he came across three bricklayers. And the first guy he talked to said, he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm laying bricks on top of another, one on top of another. That's what I do all day. And the next person, he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm building a wall. And then the next person he came across, this is a true story, and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a great cathedral to the glory of God. There was a sense of which just they're doing the same thing, but because they had a big perspective of what they're doing, it changed everything. Now, you might be here this morning, and you might be thinking, I'm just trying to get by in life. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to get enough money to put food on the table. I'm just trying to get enough money to heat my house right now. I'm just trying to uh, meet someone and settle down. I just want to see my kids growing up and get through school and be okay. Or I just want to impress my parents in some ways. I want to earn their respect. I don't know what it is that you would describe that you're doing with your life, but if you get a hold of what I'm going to share today, if you get a hold of the big story that you've been drawn into, it changes everything. And yes, you may still end up doing some of those things that you're doing now, but it's in, a, in, a, in the context of a much bigger picture, something much more glorious. You are part of something that is much bigger than your own life. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, which most people here have, you're part of something that's way bigger than your own life. And we're going to see that today as we unpack some of these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to see some incredible things about the church. We're going to see that it's way, way more than a social club. 
A couple of weeks ago, uh, Sarah received a link to get a free afternoon at a really nice uh, sports club here in, in Ipswich. And uh, we said, yeah, we're going to go. We knew exactly what their game was. They want to draw you in and make you become a, a, a fee-paying member. But we thought, no, we're going to go and have a nice free afternoon there. And then we're going to put our heads down as we walk out afterwards and hope they don't look us in the eyes and get us to sign up. Listen, this is way more than a social club that we might you know, go along to sometimes. And maybe if we like the service, we might put a bit of money in. This is way more than that. It's huge. It's a huge deal when we get a hold of what the church is to be. So we're going to cover some of the verses that Tommy covered last week, and we're going to go a little further as well. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what it says. For he himself, this is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is talking about people from a Jewish background, and people from a non-Jewish background who were being drawn together in this church in Ephesus that Paul is writing to. He's done this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When you get some time later, reread those verses and note how many times you see the word with and how many times you see the word together. This is something that we should take note of. We should understand that when we place our faith in Jesus, it is an individual thing in that Jesus saves us individually, but he brings us into something that is corporate. He brings us into something that is together. You're not saved just to have a personal relationship with God. And that, that phrase can actually sometimes kind of make us think it's all a Jesus and me deal. Yes, we do get a personal relationship with God. We do get to call him Father, but we're actually joined not only to Jesus when we place our faith in him, but we're joined to one another too. And so we become part of something much, much bigger. Now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. This goes against, this massively goes against the flow of our culture. Because our culture is profoundly individualistic. It's all about self-care. It's all about looking after your number one. It's, look, it's all about expressing yourself, being yourself. It's all about me and having things done my way, a personalized thing for me. This is going against the flow in a big way. Yesterday, my family and I went to Ikea to meet with wider family. It was a halfway meeting point. We're very rock and roll. We spent a day in Ikea, and we didn't know where to go. They'd changed some things since we'd last been there, and we ended up walking around Ikea the wrong way. Now, if you've been to Ikea on a Saturday afternoon, it is very, very busy. And so we're kind of just 
cringing throughout the whole shop. As we're walking, we kind of got so far, we thought, there's no point now trying to find the right way. We're too far in, let's keep going. So we're going against the flow. And there's people looking at us, tutting at us, shaking their heads at us. We had one or two people saying, I've done this before, don't worry. But it was hard. It's, you know, you've got people looking at you funny. And it's, it took a lot of energy to keep going, saying, no, we're going to keep walking against the flow here. These verses that we read of, when it talks about us being built together, about us being part of something that's corporate, that's not an individualistic thing, this massively goes against the flow of our culture. We have this from the get-go in our lives. We have this from Disney films. Now, I'm not anti-Disney films, okay? I've watched them all because I've got young children. But right from the get-go, it's all about following your heart. Right from the get-go, it's about what do you want to be? Frozen, which is a cultural phenomenon, and you can't be a, a, a parent of young children here, and probably you will have not, you will have not have failed to have watched Frozen. And it's all about Elsa having to kind of let go of what other people think of her and the community that might hold her back, and to go up North Mountain to find herself. It's an individualistic dream. And listen, this is the culture that we're swimming in. It's all about me and what I want, and having things personalised to my tastes. And to not expect to be challenged in some ways and be uncomfortable in some ways. This is huge. And yet, friends, when we grasp what Jesus has done for us, we'll see that he's brought us into a family. He's brought us into a, a glorious people. This is huge for us. And so we see three pictures here of what the church is. And I, I really, I believe this is so important for us to grasp. I believe this is going to be a perspective shifter for us. That if we take it to heart, it really will help us in a culture where we're going against the flow. Where we can understand and be clear, this is who we are. And so it might be a bit awkward going against the flow. We might bash our trolleys a little bit. But no, this is what God has said. This is who we are. And the first truth we read in verse 19, where we read that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. So this talks about citizens of a kingdom. We see that, Paul's unpacked that in the previous verses. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. I wonder if you see yourself like that. Citizenship is a very big deal. Now, if you've grown up in this country and you've always lived in this country, then these verses could be lost on you. You might let them go over your head a little bit. But if you've come to this country having been born and brought up somewhere else, then you'll understand that citizenship is a really big deal. Because with citizenship comes some privileges, comes some responsibilities, comes good things. And until you get citizenship, you can feel kind of vulnerable. Because at any moment, a politician might click their finger and say, no, we're going to start sending people home. Or at any moment, someone might say, hey, can I see your papers here to see that you are legally meant to be here? And this week, I've helped someone with their citizenship application for this country, a friend of mine. And I know that that is a big deal for them. Because suddenly, they're going to know, I'm not a second-class person here. I'm a citizen. I belong. I'm, I belong in the United Kingdom. This is my home now. Now, for the, the, the non-Jewish people, this would have really resonated. Because Paul has just said to them, look, you were once strangers and aliens. You were once foreigners when it came to the promises that Israel had over them. Abraham, this, the father of the Israelites, had these promises that his people would be blessed and that they would be a blessing to the whole world. They had great promises that one day a Messiah was going to come. And these non-Jewish people in the church at Ephesus would have understood, well, we were once complete strangers to that. 
And Paul is now saying, now you've been brought in. Now you are citizens of this kingdom through faith in Jesus. You belong. And in Ephesus, this was a huge city, about 700,000 people at this time. One of the largest cities in the world at this time. And the foreigners, those that didn't belong, who weren't citizens of Rome, would have lived on the outskirts of the city. So they would have understood, we really don't belong here. It's not really our home. So citizenship's a big deal, and Paul's saying, now you are citizens with the saints. You are, you are part of this now. You've been brought in. You belong. You belong, and not only do you belong, but you actually get to call yourself a saint. There's 60 times in the New Testament where the people of God are referred to as saints. And this isn't talking about kind of Mother Teresa and a few other people who've kind of made it. No, this is talking about you and I. You and I, look around you. This is an odd bunch of saints, isn't it? But this is the truth about you. You, are, you have every right to be called a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that will know no end. A kingdom that will go on forever and ever and ever. And you are a saint. You belong. You, you, you are no longer identified as a sinner. Sometimes we say that, don't we? It slips off our tongue. Yeah, I'm still a sinner. Which we're trying to say, yeah, we still sin sometimes. Yeah, we slip up. We, we, we believe lies. We fall into things that we shouldn't fall into. But ultimately, God says over you, you are a saint. You belong. You're not an imposter here. You've got, you've, been, you've got the papers. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you need to understand that th these things would have, they would have resonated more because of the times that they were in than perhaps they'd resonate for us now. Because at the time... Rome was at the height of its power. One commentator called James Montgomery Boyce, you have to have a double-barreled surname to sound clever, I think. He said this, When Paul wrote those words, the kingdom of Rome was at the height of its territorial expansion and glory. Rome dominated the world. Roman armies kept peace and dispensed justice. Roman roads linked far-flung reaches of the empire. Rome had stood for hundreds of years and was thought to be able to stand for thousands of years more. That's really important we understand that. But Paul looked at Rome and he saw it as not one great united kingdom, but as a force imposed upon mutually antagonistic factions, rich and poor, free and slave, man and woman, Jew and Gentile, and in its place, Paul saw the new humanity, created by God, transcending all those boundaries, the kingdom that was destined to grow and permeate all nations and peoples, a kingdom that could never be shaken or destroyed. So we might look at our nation and we might think it's increasingly secular, it's increasingly the case that Christians are going to be maligned and sidelined, and we might think that's never ever going to change. That's never ever going to come down. It's always going to be like that. Well, people looked at Rome and they said, it's always going to be like this. We're always going to be under the thumb of Rome. We're always going to find ourselves oppressed by them. And Paul saw through all of that and he saw that God was doing something. He was bringing together for himself a people into a kingdom and a kingdom that could never be shaken or destroyed. And this should, this should friends, this should infuse us with confidence. We are part of something that cannot be shaken and that cannot be destroyed. 
And then we might look around and think, it looks like things aren't going God's way in the world. Listen, God will have his way. God will have his way. And he's having his way in that he is drawing together for himself a people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue to form one new humanity, one new man in Christ. Drawn together of people who really don't have much in common. And yet they have been centered on Jesus. That is what God is doing in the world. You're part of this big story. You're part of that, friends. If you place your faith in Jesus, you're part of it. You've been brought in. So we see that we're citizens of an eternal kingdom. We see that this kingdom will know no end to the, to the growth of it. Right across the world, this kingdom will go on expanding. It says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so this gives us confidence that we're part of something that God is doing in the world that will never cease to grow and expand. But listen, friends, I wonder how this shapes us. Maybe you've got children. I don't know how old they may be. Some of you, maybe young children, some of you older children. You might be thinking, I just want to wrap them up in cotton wool and I want to get them through school and I want to just kind of make sure they're okay. Well, the Bible describes children as arrows. Arrows in the quiver to send out, to take ground. I wonder if we see that. We actually, in the light of the kingdom of God expanding and advancing, that we look to see our children trained, raised up to see who they are and who they belong to and what they're part of and sent on. Are we seeing that? Maybe you've got older children. You think, well, they've flown the nest now. You can still have an influence in their life. Still bring them to see, hey, God's got purposes for you. And it's not all about just getting rich and having nice holidays. He's got purposes for you. So we understand that we're part of a kingdom. We're citizens of a kingdom. The second thing we see here is that we are members of God's household. This is speaking of church being a family. Now, it's one thing to accept that maybe Jew- Jewish people who've placed their faith in Jesus and uh, non-Jewish people who've placed their faith in Jesus could be part of the same kingdom, but to say part of the same family is mind-blowing. And it would have been mind-blowing to these people. You are now brothers and sisters in Christ, despite your very, very different backgrounds. You need to understand, for maybe there'd be a, a very few people here who've been brought up in Judaism. Um, there was such, there's such a steeping in history and the big stories of the Bible that you just know, you have kind of drilled into you, rightly so, and traditions and festivals that you just, you just the year is kind of like, it's not just like Christmas and Easter that we have, like two big festivals, there's loads throughout the year. And so you've got people from a, from a non-Jewish background coming to be in the same family, as it were, as people from a Jewish background, and they really haven't got loads to talk about. Okay, like, just think about how big Christmas is for us. That's the only thing I can liken it to. And maybe you meet someone and you think, well, I may not have much in common, but surely they must know about Christmas. And you find out, they've never heard of Christmas. You've never watched Home Alone. You've never once sung Last Christmas by Wham. You've never had turkey. What? You've got nothing else to talk about. Well, these people, they didn't really have a lot to talk about because one uh, section of the family had been brought up with massive festivals and rituals and laws and all kinds of things they had to abide by with food and so on, and one that had nothing to do with that at all. And so they're now together in family. This is, a, this is like 
mind-blowing for the people here. You're now members of the household of God. You've got the same brother in Jesus, the same father in God the Father. You're now brothers and sisters. You've been adopted in. And we, when I look around here, are very, very different. There's some here, we, we might get time together and think, I just don't think I have anything in common with you. I don't know what I can find to talk about. You don't know about football. You don't know about Christmas. You don't know about this. What am I going to talk about? But what Paul is saying here is that you have something more profoundly in common than you do with anyone that you've grown up with. You've got something more profoundly in common, which is Jesus Christ as your Savior. And as Tommy so helpfully helped us to see last week, you look around you, these are the family that you're going to have for eternity. And you've more in common with your brothers and sisters here than you do with anyone in your biological family who doesn't know Jesus. And you've more in common with believers in Ukraine or Syria or Japan than you do with people from your own ethnicity, your own background, your own upbringing who don't know Jesus. You've got more, something way more profound in common with them. And Paul's saying, you're family now. We've got to treat each other like family. We see verses like, treat older men as you, do, as you would your father. Treat your older women in the church as you would your mother. Older women, teach the younger women. Older men, teach the younger men. There's a familial thing going on here. We get to greet each other like family. This is, this is something that we need to take a hold of and teach our children about. That when we come together on a Sunday, it's not, oh, do we go, have to go to church again? Because I'd rather sit and watch TV. No, no, we're going to go and gather with family. If we have anything else in our minds on a Sunday, other than we've got to go to a family gathering now, we're going to go and be with our family, then we've got some things wrong. We've got some things really wrong, and we need God to help fix some things in our minds and our hearts. We're going to be with family. And so when we have people in our home, and I've had these conversations with my kids recently because we have people in our home a lot, and they might say, are we having people over again? I say, yeah, because this is our family. And we see our family. We spend time with our family. We've got to make sure we're making, you know, we're investing enough time in our children, just having that one-to-one -one time and knowing that they've got mum and dad's attention if they need it. But listen, we're family. And so we gather as family. And when we come to church on Sundays, we're going to be with family. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there were family members we didn't see much. And it was quite, it was never spoken about, but it was implied, well, we don't, we don't really want to go and hang out with them. We don't really want to see them. And so as children, you just kind of learn, we just don't see that person. And if we don't prioritize the gathering of God's people, what are we implying to our children? What are we saying to them? We're essentially saying, well, that's not really that important. Or we're saying to them, they're not really family. We're saying it's just something we do because we, you know, it's just what we've always done. We're, we're a family. We gather together to be family. We won't know everyone, but we'll know some. We'll be known by some. My heart and prayer is that everyone will know some, even if it's a small group of people, they'll know people here as family. This is what we do. And we, we, we care for each other like family. It's a great privilege to know brothers and sisters who care for you, who know when your flight lands, or know when you're struggling with the kids, who know when you're needing work and you know, pray for you for that. We need that, friends. We need that. And this is what God has called us to. The, the Bible knows nothing of ninja Christians who just sort of 
ninja into the meeting five minutes late and who ninja out afterwards without trying to, talk, trying to avoid any eye contact with anyone. That is not God's heart for us. It's not his desire for us. He wants us to be in family, to have brothers and sisters who care for one another, who speak into each other's lives, who have fun together. And you might think, there's so many people here, I don't know if I have a lot in common with them. We've got all sorts here, I'm looking out. I get a privilege of being able to look out here. We've got people of all ages. We've got people of different cultures. We've got people of different ethnicities. We've got different employment statuses. We've got different educational backgrounds. Some people have got PhDs. Some people who can barely put together a couple of GCSEs to their name. We've got people of uh, great wealth. We've got people who haven't got much. We've got people from different colors and nations. We've got all sorts here. And it, it really is very tempting and natural, really, to only want to spend time with people who are like you. That is the, that's the, the natural drift in our hearts, is to say, I only really want to spend time with people who are like me, because they get my humor, they get my stories, they get my, ref, my cultural references, they get me. They understand what I'm all about. But what I believe is, is God's heart for us is that we're not sort of you know, mixed in together like some sort of gray soup. But no, we actually are like a salad bowl that's really rich in flavor. And you don't know what kind of flavor you're going to get next. That we're, we're, we're really knitted together despite our very, very different backgrounds. That we're knitted together. And we find ourselves with good friendships with people that we don't, I don't have much to do. I don't have much in common with you. And listen, as we, as we step out into this, and I want to pray for us that we will step out into this more and more and more, we'll find that actually our culture, whatever your culture may be, just think of your culture for a minute, isn't actually perfectly aligned with biblical culture. <laughs> it, doesn't have all of the, it doesn't have godly values throughout it. And we'll find in other people's cultures some really beautiful things. And we'll say, I really love that about your culture. But you'll also find in other people's cultures some bad things. And you think, I don't really like that. And you'll also find some things that you think are downright hilarious. And as you grow in friendship, and as you move towards each other, as we all do this, we'll find that we can celebrate the good in others' cultures. And we can say, I love that, and I want to adopt that so that my uh, life looks more and more like the culture of heaven. We'll find we can challenge some things and say, actually, I, I'm not sure that's a good thing. That might be cultural, but that's not of God. And we'll find some things that we can laugh at as well. And we'll find some things we can joke about and say, that is hilarious that you, you have that. And we can poke fun at each other as we, as we grow together. I, I don't know if, if we're up for this. You, you're all kind of like looking at me a bit blankly here. But this is what God's heart is. There's one or two who are up for this. This is what God's heart is for the church. One new man drawn together from very, very different backgrounds. And it takes intentionality. Because, as I said, our natural drift is just to be with people who are like us. That's why Martin Luther King Jr. said, 11 a.m. on a Sunday... It's the most segregated hour in America. Because we just want to worship with people that are like us, naturally. Want to sing the songs that we know and feel comfortable with. Whether that's people of the same age. That's why you get young churches full of young people. That's why you get old churches full of older people. That's why you get black churches. That's why you get white churches. And I'm, I praise God that we are seeing something beautiful here. But there's more for us to step into. 
There's way more for us to step into to say, I'm going to move towards you with hospitality, with welcome, with care. I want to learn. I want to know more. I want to understand. how do you, you know, And you will be enriched. You will know more of God and his truth because you'll be spending time with people who will just kind of shine a little bit of light on that. We were in our life group a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about weddings. And we've got in our life group, I think, six different nationalities. And one friend was saying to me, hey, listen, you don't really do weddings in the UK. Like, in his, in, in his culture, you do weddings and you invite four, five, six hundred people. And that might be a small wedding. <laughs> Only, exactly, absolutely. And, and that is m- closer to the culture that we read about in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, there's a banquet happening and you go and fetch everyone and everyone's invited. That, that just helps shine some light on what Jesus is getting at there. Because we think, how am I going to keep this as cheap as I possibly can? <laughs> I want to spend some money on a honeymoon. I want to do so. I want to... Listen, we will, as we are moving towards others who might be very, very different to us, we will see some insights into God and his word that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And listen, we will astound the world. We will astound the world. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I went to see a show next door at the Regent. And the, the whole crowd, 1,300 people, I, did, I, didn't see non, I didn't see one one night, uh, non-white face. I didn't see one non-white face. And people, you can understand, were probably of a sudden class and so on and had, able to afford to go to the theatre and so on. I think this is probably the mo- most diverse space in all of Ipswich. And that's worth celebrating. It is. But we've got more to step into. We've got more to grow in. We've got more. We have really got more ahead of us. And it will astound the world. People will look on and say, how on earth is it that those people, they worship together, they serve together, they love one another, they're in each other's homes, not just turning up at a building every week. How is it that they do this? What is it that's causing them to be so united? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one we worship. He's the one we celebrate. He's, the one, he's our champion. So listen, let's press into this. Let's press into being family together. The final picture we see here is one of a temple. What's all this about? It says here, we are stones in God's temple. Stones in God's temple. The apostle Peter will call us living stones in his letter. Living stones built together. We're stones in God's temple. This isn't a church, friends. You know that this building isn't a church. Okay, if I'm speaking to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, I will let that one fly. Okay? So I was out the building the other day and someone said, is this a church? I said, yeah, yeah, it's a church. I didn't say, well, technically, actually, it's the people. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. But... But this isn't a church. This is an old cinema that we've put a bit of money at and made it look nice. We, the people of God, are the church. We are the church. We are being built together, stones being built together to be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. This is a glorious thing if we understand it. Because God wants to come and dwell amongst us in such a way as he has with us, and he's with us right now, this morning, where people will look on and say, surely God is in this place. Where people might come in, and maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. But people will come in amongst us and say, surely God, I can't explain it in any other way. God is in this place. This is God's heart for us. 
maybe we even just need to correct ourselves from saying, I'm going to the, ch- I'm going to the church now. <laughs> One extra word, I'm going to the church building now. doesn't take much. Help our children see. No, no, we don't go to a church building. We are the church. And we belong to be together. This is, this is right for us. We belong together. We are the church. Don't be, let me, let me encourage us, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived to think, I, I love Jesus, but I don't do church. If you, if you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, you're essentially saying you like decapitated bodies, which is a bit weird. Jesus is the, the head of the church, which is the body of Christ. And so we, we don't do one without the other. We, we love his church. Don't give up on the church, friends. You might have been disappointed by the church. You, people might have brushed you up the wrong way. That happens in natural families, doesn't it? People, <laughs> it happens, right? <laughs> people rub you up the wrong way. People say some things that they didn't think about properly. People don't commit to what they said they were going to do. People do stuff like that. Don't be deceived. Don't give up on the church. Don't say, I, I don't, uh, don't want to be part of the church because you know, I, I can do it on my own. No, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the church, and we don't give up on his body. We don't give up on his body that he is drawn together. And so we come to church. We say, we say gathering together as the church is so important. We don't neglect meeting together. We don't say, oh, I'm not going to do this. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, these wonderful verses, it says here, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the opposite of not meeting together isn't meeting together, it's build each other up and encourage each other. So it's not saying go to the Sunday gathering because you've got to go and do that. No, it's saying be eager to build each other up and encourage each other. We've had that this morning through Jenny's wonderful song, through Greg's word. We've had these wonderful contributions, and there's so much more for us. There's so much more for us even after our service finishes. We can go and build each other up. We can go and say, hey, I just want to pray for you. I want to strengthen you. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to give this word to you. I've got this scripture I think is going to encourage you. This is what we do because we are the church. We are the church. We don't go to it. We, we are the church. And we're, the, we're the, the temple of God by the Spirit. What's all that about? Because surely God isn't, we read in Acts chapter 7, well, God doesn't dwell in places built by human hands. We read in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? How can I go anywhere but oh, is away from you? Well, we see that the prophet Jonah, he ran away from God's presence. We read in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So even though God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, and there is in one sense no way we can escape from his presence, there is also a sense in which we can draw near to him and know his tangible, experienced presence with us as we intentionally draw near, as we say, Lord, I want to meet with you. And he has that for us when we gather together, where we, where we come together as one temple as it were, built together, stones built together, where we can say, I just, I know the presence of God here that I wouldn't have known on my own. Yes, we can know him and walk with him on our own. Yes, we can experience good things with God even as we walk on our own. But when we come together 
our expectation should be high. Because this is the temple of the living God when we gather. It's where he dwells. And so when we meet, we should be expectant God's going to speak. When we meet, we should be expecting that, hey, the ball might be at my feet now. I might have some word for someone. I might have a, something to bring to the congregation. There might be someone that God wants me to go and encourage today. There might be someone that God wants me to extend a welcome to today. And I might just be able to say, hey, come over for lunch. There's, there's things for us to do. So when we see these words stones, we should think, how do I fit? Where, where's my best? How do I best fit into this? Sometimes we ask the opposite question. How, you know, is this church the right fit for me? Listen, if you've decided this church is the right fit for you, and it should be that you just understand, is it preaching the Bible? Is it a family? They love each other. Then yes, it's the right fit for you. You should now be asking, where do I fit? How, do I, how can I play my part? How can I slot in here to be a stone in this temple? And the temple was a thing of beauty, a thing of great beauty. There was a massive temple in Ephesus, this temple to Diana or Artemis, as she was otherwise known, this goddess, this people were worshipped her. This, it was a beautiful temple. It was, it was something you couldn't miss, something that people stood in awe at. There was a beautiful temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed not long after this letter was written. People would have stood and just stood back. It was a wonder. It was a natural wonder. Wow. Listen, as we together are built together to be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit, where people say, surely God is amongst them. This should be a wonder to people. People should, and it, re it really is, friends. It really is. I, I, I know it more and more and more. People are looking on and saying, there's something different about these people. There's something different here. Something really glorious here. And I want to know more. That should be the natural response. Something about these people. God is amongst them. He surely dwells amongst them. So where do we go from here? Let me ask you, as I did at the beginning, do you know you've been drawn into a big story? Do you see the church as God sees it? Or do you see it as a bit of a social club that I, I go to once a, maybe even once a month? Some? Or do we say, oh, this is my family. I can't wait to go and be with them. I can't wait to spend time with them. This is a kingdom. I'm a, I'm a citizen of this kingdom. It's where I belong. I may not belong anywhere else because I'm going against the flow. I'm going the wrong way up through Ikea. But I belong here. And I'm a, I'm a stone in this temple where I expect that God's going to meet with us. I'm expectant. Do you see that? Do you see these things? Have you, have you grasped hold of this in your heart? Let's not see Jesus and the church as somehow kind of separable. No, no, they're inseparable. Jesus, the, the church is getting persecuted by this guy, Paul, before he became a Christian. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? It's inseparable. So when we, if we have to move for work, if that ever comes up, I want to find a church. That's my first priority. Before I even look on right move, <laughs> I want to find a church. That should be our heart. Going to university, I want to find a church to be a part of, to put my all into. I want to go and be with God's people. This is the most natural thing to do. Let's be those that meet together. Let's not forgo meeting together. Let's be family. Let's build each other up. It's a real joy to be with brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be under the care of shepherds in the church. The Bible calls them elders or pastors. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to know family together. Do you know this, friends? Do you know this? 
If you do, it's time to lay down some things. It's time to lay down some individualism and say, well, I, wouldn't, I don't want it to be like that. I'd rather have it a different way, but you know, I'm part of something bigger. Or maybe I've been thinking, I'm just going about my life, and these are the things that I'm, I think I'm giving myself to. No, I'm actually part of a bigger story. And say, Lord, it's all for you. It's all about your kingdom's advance. One of we might stand together. We're going to pray. The band are going to lead us. There will be time. We're going to sing, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to sing about the kingdom of God and all that he has got for us. I wonder if you've had your eyes lifted to this truth today. I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we'll be stirred within. Not just to kind of, you know, sing a nice song and then not forgo, but to know I'm part of something bigger. Maybe we want to just lift our hands to God together. Father God, we thank you that we are your church. We thank you that you have brought us right in, that we belong because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Father, that you call us saints. That's what you declare over us. And we have every right to say, I'm a saint, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's made us holy. He's made us right with you. And we're saints. Thank you that we are your sons and daughters, Father. Thank you that we've been brought right in to the family. Thank you, Lord, that today we belong we belong to something that's way bigger than our lives. We belong to something that's way bigger, something that you're doing in the world, gathering for yourself a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Thank you that we've had a foretaste of that today as we've heard the, the words of your, your scripture read out in different languages. Thank you that we have a foretaste as we look around us. We want to grow in this, Lord. We want to be built together more and more and more. We want to see people raised up from different backgrounds, rich and poor, people from different nations. We want people to be raised up, Lord, to take their place in all that you're doing here. People from Africa, people from Asia, people from South America, North America, people from other parts of Europe, people from the far reaches of Australasia. Lord, we want people to be raised up. Lord, people who say, I know who I am in Jesus. I know what he's made me to be. I'm joined to him now forever. And I'm joined to my brothers and sisters. Lord, would you raise up men and women in this place even today? Would you raise our heads just like those bricklayers who said, this is, I think I'm just putting some bricks on top of a, another. Would you raise our heads to see the big picture, Lord? What you're doing in the world is phenomenal, Lord. Would you raise our hearts and our minds to this? Would we know even as we go about our day-to-day, -day, even as we go to our work, even as we raise our kids, even as we look for a place to live or whatever it might be or a place to study, that we would know I'm part of something much bigger. And Lord God, we pray, would you build your kingdom here? Would your kingdom know great advance in Ipswich? Thank you, Lord Jesus. You said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord. We come with confidence. And even though we might look at a great empire around of individualism and liberalism and materialism and all these things, and we might think it's never, ever going to come to an end. We know that it will. But we know that the kingdom of God will have no end. 
and one day you will have a people for yourself from every nation and we will stand before you and we will celebrate you. We thank you so much, Lord God, that we are coming to one whose kingdom cannot be shaken. Would you strengthen us now? And would you lead us to each other with welcome in our hearts? Would you lead us to each other with a desire to be built together? And would you even show people now how they can fit, how they slot in, how they play their part? There's mercy ministries. People who just know God's given you a gift of mercy to pour out into others. There's discipleship ministries. You just know you're built to come alongside people and raise them up. There's children to minister to. So exciting. Dozens and dozens of children to minister to, to share the gospel with. Youth to mentor and equip. God's got things for us to do. Thank you, Lord. Good works prepared for us in advance to do in the context of your kingdom. See your church shine all the more. Why don't you just say to God right now, I'm in. I'm in on this. I'm in, Lord. I want to play my full part. I want to play my full part in this. I want to see the big picture. Thank you, Lord. Amen.